This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails, provided by Data.World. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy, um, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World. And always, it's a pleasure, middle of the week, end of the day. And I'm in Austin today, so it is towards the end of my day. And uh, it's time to spend some time to talk about data. And today we have a guest, a very special guest, who is somebody who I actually just fairly recently learned about and started following her on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and her Substack. And she's been writing some really great stuff. So if you have not been following Sarah Krasnick, she's a data engineer, you're really missing out. And one of the, I reached out to Sarah for a couple, I mean, maybe a month ago or something. She wrote this post called uh, Modern is Different from Value. Uh, so having a modern data stack doesn't mean an analytics team will actually provide value to the company. It takes more than just adopting shiny tools. And I saw this post. I'm like, I need to talk to Sarah. I like this was just great content in there. So, hey, Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much welcome. for being here. My pleasure. It's awesome to be here. Awesome. So we're going to let's kick it off. Uh, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for? Sarah, you take Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, I am not a huge, but uh, I don't drink beer. So I have now gone to hard cider. So drinking... Uh, hard cider here from the great state of Vermont. So Champlain Orchards, strongly recommend. Um, and then what I'm toasting to, I would say uh, in-person events. This week is Philly Tech Week and just went to the, my first like in-person event since, uh, you know, post-COVID the other day. So that was awesome. Yes, I am so, so happy getting in-person events. I've been, uh, I've been on the road for a couple of weeks in-person events. I was last week at the Knowledge Graph conference and I was visiting customers and I was in Europe. It was just, it's just, it's a different vibe. It's back. So I'm, I'm loving it. So I'm cheers to that. And I'm drinking a, a caipirinha uh, with passion fruit. I have still have so much passion fruit syrup. So I'm making, <laughs> I'm adding passion fruit syrup to a bunch of stuff and it, it's great. So you how about you? You can add it to anything, right? And then it works out. Um, I am drinking, keeping it simple today. I have uh, just a little bit of scotch. It's some Ardbeg. Which is a nice, very peaty scotch. Um, so uh, I'll cheers to in-person stuff as well. That's actually, probably actually the fourth or fifth time we've cheers to in-person stuff because we're just so excited about it. Uh, you know, we actually started this podcast uh, originally when the pandemic started. And we're like, man, we got to find a way to connect with people. And so it's so cool now to finally have in-person stuff. And honestly, we got to figure out how to do things like cataloging cocktails in person at places like uh, you know Snowflake Summit and stuff. So it's that's true. So we are last week I did it live with Francois Sharp at the Knowledge Graph Conference. We're going to be at Snowflake Summit and we're going to do that live over there. We're going to be at the Gartner DNA uh, DNA Data Analytics Conference. That's going to be in August. We're going to do that live too. Anyway, so we're going to have a lot, a lot of fun with uh, cataloging cocktails and in person. So hey, cheers to that. Anyway. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So warm up question. You once compared data self-service to shopping for frozen yogurt. Defend your most controversial frozen yogurt take. Yeah, so I am not a big fan of gummy bears and frozen yogurt. I just really think that they don't belong. Like you do the frozen yogurt, 
and you know you stay along the same route you add some chocolate all good like m&ms you know that is totally welcome maybe even some fruit but that could be even a little like gummy bears and gummy worms just really not a fan in frozen yogurt (laughs) i'm 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 with you on this because i just actually i've never liked gummy bears i just think it's just so annoying to get them in your teeth and everything um so so yeah i mean no gummy bears i'm 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 with you on that what's yours tim you know what i like gummy bears i especially like sour patch kids i'm one of those people but i don't like them in frozen yogurt and in general you know what i don't like frozen yogurt that much i like my my bluebell ice cream i like my tillamook ice cream so i'm going all in on the legit thing (laughs) well i i think before I was, I now wear usually an, an honest no BS T-shirt for this. But before, I would always be wearing a Seinfeld T-shirt. So it reminds me of the, the the no non-fat frozen yogurt that of that Seinfeld episode. I don't know if people watch that, but there's a Seinfeld episode for pretty much everything, right? There's, there's a fi- Seinfeld episode for everything. But all right, let's go. Honest no BS. So Sarah, honest no BS. How do we know that we're actually providing value with our modern data stack tools? Yeah, I kind of like, I think about value then starting from the end, right? What do people in an organization want to do? They want to uh, be good at their jobs. Like they want to be more efficient, right? So you, you want to be able to make a decision, whether it's in marketing in terms of how you structure an email or um, when even just when to send emails. You want to have, if you send it to a thousand people, you want the maximum number of people to convert um, so that you have to send fewer emails. And at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is saving time or saving money. And I kind of equate, like, I think time is money, but even if you don't think that, um, it's saving time or saving money. And so I think that working backwards, the data team enables the rest of the organization to do that. And by providing information about which campaigns to send and what kind of decisions to make and providing suggestions. But at the end of the day, no matter what tooling we have, if people don't act on that information, then it doesn't really do anything. Like all, everything still stays, stays the same. And so the way that I think about it is the data should be as actionable as possible and how efficiently you get there, how quickly you get there and how accurate it is, that will just make, uh, will make you more efficient as an organization. And again, either saving time or money, depending on the context. So at the end of the day, this is a very simple thing and it's, you got to save time and save money. Um, and sometimes or a lot of the times, I think we kind of forget that, like you kind of live in your own bubble and you don't talk to the people outside. I mean, you, you were bringing up the example of like, go talk to the marketing department, see what they're trying to go do. And so I think that's the first thing that we always want to, we, we need to realize and remind ourselves who is actually using this data for what reason and, and how is that going to save them time and going to help them uh, save money or, hopefully even make more money on here. Um, so that, that that's a very clear thing. And I think the question is that's easier said than done. Um, I want to, let's, I want to unpack more. Let's go dig into the whole data needs to be more actionable. Let's unpack that. What is, what, I mean, so many people are throwing this around. It needs to be active. Data needs to be active. It needs to be actionable. Like what does this really mean? And, 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 and let's get into some concrete examples here. Yeah, I think what it really means is that, um, and this kind of uh, boils down to uh, my views on self-serve um, and actually the context in which I compared data to, to frozen yogurt in the first place. But um, I think that data, it should show 
uh, the data, I mean, I'm just using marketing as an example because I think it's a very familiar one for a lot of us. Um, the data exposed to marketing teams should indicate to them what decisions they should make. It should not be, here's a bunch of information about your campaigns and then they have to go and make sense of it because that takes additional time. Uh, someone will have to make sense of it. And so there should be either an analyst or a data team doing that. So we can collect data from marketing tools and say, you sent a thousand emails yesterday for or 3000 total for each campaign. And that's all nice, but we have to make sure to answer the question of like, what can they do with that information? All they can do is say, hmm, that's interesting. That's kind of it. Um, but if we take information about the number of conversions or the number of clicks or the number of leads or whatever metric is important, um, we have to have some, some, some sort of uh, baseline to measure ourselves against and expose that information to different teams. So when it comes, so kind of circling back to how that relates to different tools and what data teams should do, I think it's about taking ownership either within the, I mean, either within the data team, if you're centralized or if you're decentralized, right, having a good handoff of ownership between the analytics team and like a, an analyst, a marketing analyst or someone like that, that maybe um, uh, writes SQL and works with the data, have that handoff of making sure that the data is, is clean, is quality, and is easily understood by the people that are actually making decisions off of it. And so all of the tools that enable us to do that, whether it's data quality and making sure that we have data tests, whether it's documentation to make sure that we don't misunderstand what a click means in some context you know if it changes context by context um and so it's it's really about understanding the data and making sure that we're not uh just gung-ho about like making a query two percent faster two percent like sometimes that really matters but sometimes it just doesn't yeah i i like the way that you're kind of thinking about this, this interplay here and this approach to actionability, you know, you mentioned in, in what you said there, sort of this interplay between, so you've got like the marketing tool and the marketing group, and then you've got like your data team and your analysts on the data team, but then you might have like a marketing analyst, right? And so one of the things that I always worry about and, and kind of what you talked about here makes me think about is, well, who defines like what good action is? Is it, the marketer? Is that the marketing analyst? Is it the analytics team? Like, how how do you get to actionability? Like, do, are you actually getting good requirements from the marketing team when they ask for like data and things like that? Or is that actually what's leading us astray in the first place? Yeah, my take is that, I mean, it, it could be either or. Are you guaranteed to get good requirements? No, that's definitely not a guarantee. But some marketing teams are extremely data literate and will give fantastic requirements. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we don't really know the answer of what the right decision is or how to frame it in the right way. But that's why I think it's really important for data teams to pair with stakeholders and really have conversations asking them and probing them about what they're trying to do so that because the data teams they know the data what they don't know is the context of marketing as well as the marketer because that's that's their job that's kind of the way it should be um but the marketer right they know marketing but maybe not the nuances of the data and so maybe they want they say they want a piece of information but maybe there's some sort of some misunderstanding about what that you know what that data actually is and so having those conversations and working backwards together and eventually right initially it'll, it'll start very much in marketing world about 
what the problem is they're trying to solve or what they're trying to optimize. But slowly, slowly, as you work backwards, right, there's going to be a, a, a gradual, right, it's not going to be a cliff, a gradual transition from marketing to data. And I think that that transition working through it together where it's not just a handoff and you're not making it just a cliff. I think that's where you figure out um, what are the right questions to ask. And maybe if you don't know what the right questions are, maybe you run tests and run an A-B test, right? If you don't know what decisions to make. So Tim, this, this is a total, this is the trend that we've been seeing over the last year, right? That more and more we're seeing people acknowledge or even just discussing that, yeah, we need to go combine the data people with folks in the domain. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would postulate that two years ago, people were not talking about this and there's, we're talking about this more and more today. And I think this is, this is one of those big shifts that we need to go do. And I think this goes back to like understanding the balance between what you're centralizing and how you're decentralizing. Uh, do you have a central one central data team and you're like lending people, lending your data engineers or folks to their domains depends on the size of their company. So I think this is, start, this is something we're saying. You said it yourself, Sarah, like we need to pair data teams with the domain kind of paraphrasing you there. And I think this is the big shift that, do, that we need to have because we need to share that context. I think this is where we start seeing more of the data product managers, these data teams coming around. So th- this is, I mean, anyways, I'm just, you know me, I'm starting to rant now. And I'm just kind of like uh, acknowledging uh, a trend that I'm seeing that that is the right thing. It's something This feels like a really good thing, right? Yeah. And it seems like, yeah. Sarah, you're kind of outlining the importance and the value of this as well, is that like maybe the pendulum swung a little bit too far into like self-service analytics. Like we just like give everybody Tableau and let them do stuff with data, then like insights will happen, right? And it's like, oh, wait a second. Wait, no, the data people know certain things. The domains know certain things. Like depending on what company you work in, like the, the you know, the, the gradient is a little different, but ultimately these people need to work together to, you mentioned questions, right, Saria? Uh, you, you sort of alluded to, but I assume in that is like use cases, like what are the use cases you're trying to get to? Like, are there other key things here that are important, like shared definitions? Like we all got to know what MQLs are. Like what else do you think is kind of important to the value equation here? Yeah, definitions are important, but I think really trying to understand like what is important for your business. For some businesses, marketing, it just doesn't cost that much. You're just sending emails. It really doesn't matter that much. Um, I mean, I think it does for like almost all businesses, but um, you know, we, you know, there, there might be disagreement there, but the point is, is that for each business, there's going to be some sort of North star, North star that is, that is agreed upon as like really important. Um, might be revenue. It might be number of users. It might be something else. And everyone's kind of, you know, it might be conversions or conversion rate. Everyone's kind of going to that. And even that, right. We can dispute whether that's the right metric or not. But the point is, is that like, there has to be some sort of organizational um, unity around be trying to do here. Um, and each team in their own special way is contributing to that. And so each team has to understand how their contributions are going to move the needle at that level. And to me, I mean, with marketing, like they understand how email campaigns work. Um, they, they are the experts there. And so they have to understand, right, how to move the needle on that metric. Um, and it's not easy, right? There's a lot of research that goes into it. Um, there's a lot of domain expertise. But with that, then the really the question is like, what would you want to know to, you know, if you're making, what are the decisions that you're going to have to make and what information do you need to make those decisions? Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, for example, um, you know, uh, in terms of campaigns, um, 
when, what time of day do you want to send campaigns? Well, maybe you need to understand who your user base is and like, are they full-time employees or part-time employees? If they're mostly parties because your whole product is like building some sort of credit card for part-time employees, well, then they're maybe busy, more likely to be busy at 7 p.m. than people who are full-time employees. I'm not sure. Um, right. The point is, is that like trying to uh, really get this understanding of like, what, what are we, what are we like actually trying to do here? Right. Exactly. Now that makes a ton of sense. And, uh, you know, this is, this gets us in a little bit into the conversation of like, how do, how do we make this happen? How, and, and how does technology and tooling kind of help here? Um, kind of a twofold question for you, Sarah, like, you know, what is, you know, how does the modern data stack help? with creating this sort of action around data. And then secondly, maybe it's related to that or separate. Um, what is the Sarah Krasnick uh, modern data stack? Yeah, we, we asked, by the way, we asked this stack. a lot. Uh, sorry, we asked this, like, what is the core, right? You go and expand. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see what is your core? Yeah, so before I answer that, I think that in general, like, I think that um, I'd be remiss not to mention uh, or not to say uh, or how far along we have come in the past five to 10 years and what I think the modern data stack really, no matter what tools you consider to be part of it or what tools you consider to be important, what I do think the shift is, is that data people are focusing less on infrastructure and they are just getting data so that they can drive insights. Um, and then where we're at now is because we have so much time to derive insights, now we're like, all right, what do we do now, right? But we wouldn't even be able to get there if we had to figure out how to like, you know, uh, uh, scale like redshift clusters and, and and all of that. Which we're I finally have in a position now where we can we can solve first world data problems instead of the the previous Maslow's hierarchy, right? Well, I, right. I, I want I want to pencil an asterisk. So I'm going to get back to this because I'm I I agree with you, but at the same time, it's like, but now there's like. 15 more tools I need to go figure out how to go put that together. So uh, I don't know. Anyways, I'll, I want to yeah, get back to that. But. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, right. There's, there's always going to be something that we have to dive deep on. Um, always going to be something. Um, but um, as far as, so that's what I think about the modern data stack in general is like, we're just moving how we're, we're decreasing the time to be able to actually look at data and analyze it and get to the path to insights. But what we, I don't think where we're iterating and innovating right now is, okay, so now we have the data and it's all in one place. Like, how do we understand what to do with it? Um, now, as far as what my uh, stack looks like, it's really, it's a really hard question for me to answer because frankly, like I've worked in like enterprise financial organizations as well as startups. And those two are very, very different. And, you know, this, for example, give us, using. Give us, give, us give us the two versions then. Yeah, so um, I think right for 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 enterprise, it I would lean a lot more, um, you know, going as open source as much as possible because approving new vendors, every new vendor that you bring on, right? There's so much security and so much compliance that you have to um, go through, and generally the vendors that have the time and also are approved in terms of all the different certificates that you need and all the different compliance um, that you need. I mean, especially in the financial space, um, it's, they're just going to be 
incredibly expensive because those certifications cost money to obtain. Um, so I would lean more on open source, um, whether it be open source, like self-quote, right? I would say what's constant between the two is some sort of data warehouse. There's been a lot of talk of like, what even is a data warehouse? But really, I mean, like something like Snowflake, um, I, I do think that's kind of industry standard at this point. Um, going with Snowflake and then as far as like orchestrators, um, doing open source, open source, you know, event systems, stuff like that. Um, I will say that, like, I think as far as the transformation layer goes, I think it really depends on who the team is. Um, I think that at larger organizations that maybe have more technical talent and just have more people, um, something like DBT um, can definitely be supported and can be extremely valuable. Um, at smaller organizations and at startups, I think getting started and investing in DBT can be harder because you have to kind of learn the framework as opposed to just like run some SQL and just like get the low hanging fruit. There's kind of a lot of steps to the low hanging fruit, even though it is like an extremely powerful framework. Um, but in the startup world, you just have to be careful of like, when do you cross that threshold of now you're just rebuilding DBT? You do not want to cross that threshold at that point. Just use DBT. Um, and so for me, it's really like in the in startup world, it's about what do you need um, data as quick as possible. And I previously worked at a startup where quickly um, started, we were all in GCP. And so then Snowflake was just more work. So we just went with BigQuery, um, used Composer to host Airflow, um, used Data Studio for some like quick visualizations also because it was free, um, ran some quick SQL scripts just to like get something and prove value um, of like, hey, you can now understand how many downloads an app has all in one place um, and like segment them by region or something like that. Um, and so it's it's a non-answer answer, but like I really don't, I think there are a lot of tools. There's Hex is really awesome. I started diving into it recently. Um, I mean, all the ETL tools, right? Like, like Fivetran, if you need data from third, but I've worked at startups where we didn't have any data in third-party apps, so we didn't need it. Um, so I really, I don't think it's about the tools. I think it's about what you need to do. That, you you close with a very important thing. It's not about the tools, but what you need to go do. I do find it very interesting that you're saying that we should go enterprises should push on open source. I I agree that is the case if an enterprise has a culture for open source and has a culture for managing software and so and building software. Uh, otherwise, open source is like free puppies, not like free beers, as the saying says, right? So it's it's uh, not because it's free and. Sometimes it's like, I want to give you money because I don't want to go deal with these problems. And that's why I actually get the vendors and do that work up front. Uh, so that, 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 that's an interesting take. I'm, 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 I'm processing that one. Um, what do you think? I will say like, it also, it also depends on right, who the people at this enterprise company is. If, if you have this enterprise company and 60% of the people know how to code and like have done exactly. open that, source that, before, then like, that, yeah, that, that, that that's seems the way... Right there. Yeah, exactly. So it, it really all boils down to culture. I totally agree. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And 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 I'm seeing some categories here. So we're seeing sort of warehouse, lake, lake house. That that's always a, a big component here. Um, orchestrators, um, uh, event systems. And I'm assuming you kind of pile 
maybe things like streaming and things like that into that category, but maybe also things like segment and more like, you know, event collection kind of stuff in there as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm then, thinking uh, more event transformation on the front end. Yeah, that makes sense. Collection on the front end, um, a transformation layer, um, things like DBT when it's kind of useful, when it's not, maybe it's a little easier for, for larger organizations, maybe smaller organizations. It takes a little bit more time to onboard, but you made a, an important comment. Don't, uh, don't go full on like SQL slinging if, uh, if what you realize towards the end of it is like, man, I, you know, if we had DBT right now, we'd be in a much better place. Well, maybe you like adopted DBT a little too late. Um, and then, and then data science and analytics tools. Hex obviously is an, uh, an emerging one in this area. So let's go back. So we got into the tech side and I think uh, let's go bring it back to the value. One of the things I want, here's something I've been thinking about and talking to a lot of prospects and our customers and just friends and colleagues and stuff is I believe that one of the things that is lacking right now is that we don't even know what people are trying to go do. Like, what are the questions that people have? And I've been telling people, you know what? We talk about this whole the category, data catalogs and discoveries and all these things. Is like, this isn't really just about cataloging data. We really need to take it to the next level and catalog what I'm calling, let's catalog knowledge. Let's catalog the questions that people are asking. What are the use cases and who's asking what and why? And what are the decisions they have? And what are the hypotheses that they have? Like, I think... This is something that we're not thinking about. And, and yeah, we could actually use tools. We could actually use data catalog tools. So not just catalog data, but catalog this knowledge and these business questions, these use cases. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think use cases are extremely important. I mean, at um, at, at Perpay, one thing that uh, my, my manager did, who was our director of analytics, um, which I really, really, really came to appreciate is in um, in our BI tool, every page would start with a question. It wasn't a statement about here's the number of users. It's how many users, you know, did we onboard today or, or, or something like that. But what I think it really encouraged everyone looking at the dashboard to do is ask that question as opposed to just skimming through information. And each question was tied to um, kind of some sort of like specific thing that you would at least understand, or even better, um, in many cases, specific things that you would then go do. So, for example, um, you know, what are the five like worst performing um, like products or some or you know e-commerce product like that um, in the last week? Um, and so there, there's an action there of understanding. Maybe it's a pricing issue. Maybe they're just not not being surfaced enough in search, but users really do want it or something like that. And so I think really uh, framing insights as answers to questions, I think really helps us get there. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really going to start pushing this kind of even ask, even with the folks that I talk is like, okay, we're cataloging data. We, we really need to start cataloging the questions and, and where are they right now? I mean, who has the list of the questions that are being asked now? I don't know. I, I I think this is something somewhat doable. It's 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 not going to be perfect when you have that list, but I don't think anybody has all lists. And I think if we start kind of within an organization, start creating that list of questions, 
And we start shopping them around, sharing them. And people can, I mean, just like when you go to a conference, people ask questions. Now you use Slido and right. And people are like, oh, I like that question. Let's go thumbs up that question. That's the one we should go focus on, right? Helps us get priority about things. I think that's just, I think those are like little small things that we could that we can and should be doing to help drive value. And honestly, we don't need to focus so much on the technology. Just go get a, a shared spreadsheet and just get this out and start sharing with people. Um Again, anyways, I'm just thinking about kind of the value and, and 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 tools and how to find this balance because sometimes we just go off too much in the deep end on the tool side and that's just it's too annoying. It's too annoying when we just everybody just talks about the tech. I'm like, dude, but you don't even know what who who cares about this stuff. <laughs> anyways, I'm ranting again. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think questions are important. Honestly, like I mean. Hell, maybe I'll go do it. Just compile a list of like the top five questions that I've seen marketers ask, the top five questions that I've seen financial leaders ask, right? And then this is a guide to data teams of like, if you have going from no data to something that resembles data, like this is probably things that you want to answer. And honestly, it's even going on like VC websites and having uh, uh, reading about how they assess startups. And if you're a startup, then those are probably data points that you should have. And so to answer those questions that VCs are inevitably going to ask in the next funding round, whether it be like CAC or LTV or whatever, right? You have to have those pieces of information. Um, and that stems from a data team. That's interesting. You know, it, it kind of this, we're talking about value. We're talking about tooling. Um, you know, in one of your recent articles, you, you talked about, you know, this minimum viable stack versus the modern data stack, you know, what, 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 what is your take on that? And why did you kind of, uh, feel that that was like an important point of view to put out there? And then how does that tie like value into the equation more versus just thinking about tooling? Yeah, I think, um, the, the minimum viable data stack, I mean, really where the, the lingo in my head comes from is like the, a minimum viable product. What is an MVP of a product, right? And I think that data teams can learn a lot um, from product teams and vice versa, of course, but a minimum viable product, um, again, I'm no product manager, but like how I, how I understand it is this is the minimum thing that customers will pay for and will solve a problem. And so to me, same thing for the minimum viable data stack. It's here are the tools, here are the minimum set of tools that you need to efficiently solve a problem. And maybe that problem is answering a few very simple questions initially, and all you need is a warehouse, some sort of ether you're trying to do is tie some sort of marketing data or tie some sort of e-commerce data or tie some sort of like app data. Um, or, you know, front end, we talked about event tracking, right? Like, when people visit my site, how many people are even clicking sign up, right? That is, um, that that's that's implemented in event tracking, right? You need to take that data back um, and then just like report on it. And so with that, I that's like a, once you get the information, that's like not the craziest query in the world. And so you don't need a whole framework around it fitting there. Obviously, as the organization matures, that will grow, right? As an organization grows, data gets more complex. But at the end of the day, you have to start somewhere. And I think this is actually, now I'm kind of rambling, going on a little bit of a tangent, but I think this is one uh, principle of software engineering that I do not think that should be um, totally carried over into data. And that is um, always 
building a scalable system. Um, you don't yeah. always need to build things that will scale. Um, you, I think the, the position that data people, whether that be data engineer, analyst, analytics engineer, really anyone um, is in is to evaluate when do you need a scalable system and when do you need just a, a thing that works? Um, and sometimes that thing that works will take you very far. And sometimes it's good that you didn't build the whole system because you built the thing that works and then realize it's really not what you need and you had to start over. Well, this, 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 this is great. I mean, so a couple of things. I think one of the big things we had up to now is we need to really understand the questions people are asking. That is how you're, 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 you you can tie it to value. And now we're talking more about like this balance of like, uh, we, we talk about this internally too. And with other people, it's like, you don't always need to get an A, you know? Like you can, I mean, an A is you got to, you built the best, beautiful data infrastructure, the most scalable, we're ready to go, wow, rocket ship and everything. But hey, we could have passed here with something. We could have passed with the B is totally fine too, right? So like, how do you find this balance? And I think also one of the things that we see is that you probably hire an A team who always are used to getting A's and they always want A's, but we have to kind of like calm down. Like we don't actually need to get an A right now. We actually need to get is a B because we need to go do fast, right? So that's also kind of a cultural kind of shock that we can go see uh, when, when people need to go move fast because they think, oh, I'm not, I'm not being excellent. I'm like, actually, we don't need you to kind of be excellent. We need to be just good enough because that's how we're going to go fast. So I think this is something really interesting. And it is a cultural change, especially for folks coming from like, uh, uh, I mean, excellent uh, uh, engineering places. Um, Anyway, so yeah, this was, reminds me of a story. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of a story, actually, my, my freshman year of college. Um, so I went to uh, Hopkins in Baltimore, and I think it was maybe the year before me. Um, uh, maybe it was a few years. I don't remember. But the, the point is that the, the first semester had uh, covered grades. So basically, we uh, took classes and got grades on our tests. But at the end of the day, on our transcript, it would only show up as pass-fail. Um, even though it wouldn't be just a pass-fail class, we still got a grade, but it wouldn't be exposed to like, if you're applying to grad schools or later, whatever, and it wasn't factored into um, your GPA. And I was just like, very scared and did not mean to, but got very, very good grades um, that, that first semester. And there was absolutely no reason for it. There was just no reason for it. And so I equate it to the same thing of like, I mean, Juan, what you said, like, when do you, when excellent and when do you just need to pass because no one cares? <laughs> but, but I have a similar kind of story too. Like in, in grad school, same thing with something I learned early on was like, uh, you, you, you get an A, you get a A plus, like nobody cares. All you need to do is just pass the requirements to go till you be able to go propose your PhD and stuff. So, and everybody's just studying so hard. I'm like, eh. I just got enough, and then I actually have time to go do the research that I want to go do. Right? I think that 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 that's the balance right there. But at some point, I, we can't always be living, or or I don't know, could we always be living just with good enough and getting C's and B's and stuff? Or at some, I mean, at some point, we do need to go start scaling. I mean, that that that's an interesting question when to go do it because maybe are you too early? Is it too late? Um, maybe too early is not that bad. You're just kind of, it's time and money thing, but I don't know. I think that's an interesting discussion here to, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on how to kind of make that switch? 
Yeah, um, there definitely is a time and place for building scalable systems. Um, to me, uh, actually, uh, I, I've mentioned this, I don't remember to who in passing uh, this past week as well, but um, uh, Abe Gong of Superconductive, he um, uh, kind of started this notion a few years back of like the complexity carrying capacity. And what it really means is as it's the relationship between the complexity of your system and how much time it takes to maintain. And so to me, what will end up happening if you scale a hacky system is that your complexity carrying capacity, like the, the, the time it will take to maintain will scale exponentially with the complexity of your data, the complexity of your organization. And so that is just like a pit of time that you're just putting into maintaining a system that just doesn't scale very well. And so to me, it's that when, when you see that starting to happen of you are just spending so much time maintaining a system, then that is when maybe you need to build it in a more scalable way so that you can free up your time to do things that bring more value than just maintain something that already exists that everyone already uses. So I, I think that's when we need to start understanding and being honest of what does a hack, hacky system mean, right? So, oh, I hacked this stuff up, it works, right? But yeah, that was too hacky. Like, we can't do that, right? So I, at some point, like, hey, that's actually pretty good. It's not that hacky. But once you kind of get deeper into it, it's like, oh, okay, now we're getting too hacky in the system, right? So kind of this is why it should be all – it's a peer process too, right? You need other people to go look at this stuff and kind of push you to see, like, how hacked up is this or not? Right. And And did you get a chance to come back to it, right? Because I feel like – a hack that you get to iterate on is like, oh, wow, that was a great MVP. And now we worked our, our ways into something better, right? But a hack that you never come back to is like, well, that's tech debt, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that, right, tech debt, it's like, I mean, if you relate it to, I mean, it's no secret that I'm a fan of analogies, but like, if you relate tech debt to like actual life debt, it's like, when you die, will that debt go away? or like what happens to it, right? And so right now we just haven't died. Like we just were accumulating debt, but we just don't know what'll happen to it because we haven't tested it yet. And so- There's no data me, bankruptcy. There's no data bankruptcy. And so like, what does data bankruptcy look like? Is it when you have to, right, in this market, is it when you have to lay off 20% of your workforce, now you have to do all of the same things because your customers are expecting the same things, but with 20% less people, right? Is that data, is that bankruptcy? Maybe, I'm not sure. Um, but like, we have to just, we have to be efficient. But at the same time, um, I think what is a hack? To me, it really comes down to like how much time it takes to maintain. And everything else is pure opinion. Like, I can look at code and be like, this looks like total garbage, but that's just my opinion. It's not, it's, it's subjective. And sure, we teach like, what does good code look like and all of that? But really it's, we just have one standard so that other people can expect what they're looking at. If that standard was a little bit different, like, and it was that, that different standard all along, like we wouldn't know, like we've never lived in a base eight world. We live in a base 10 world where we have 10, 20 and 30, right? We don't know any alternative. Right. Wow. Some beautiful, there's some gold in here. What does data bankruptcy look like? I love that. And I like, you're just telling me, what is a hack? It's how much time it takes to maintain. That's, that, 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 that's another uh, very clear takeaway. Uh, we're, we're almost getting to our take or to our lightning round where you see, we can keep talking. This is, this is, this is fantastic. One thing that we talked last time, 
you said something that I really love, which is tools change, but the principles don't change. I'd love if you could dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets to, you know, what tools make sense at a startup versus what tools make sense at um, uh, at an enterprise level. Um, I mean, I think we uh, look at a lot of examples from companies that have done a lot of really, really, really great engineering things like the engineering teams of Spotify and, and, and Netflix and Airbnb. But at the end of the day, um, at a startup level, like you don't have thousands of employees. Um, you, you just don't. And the amount of data that you're dealing with is probably less and the types of data is probably not quite as widespread. Um, and so you have to take that into account into how much time is it worth investing. And so when it comes to principles, right, the principles of how do you make that decision of what we were just talking about? What is hacky and when do you build a scalable system? That decision-making process is the same. Just the, the, the end result might be different if you're Airbnb versus if you're, you know, 30 person seed stage startup. And so what that looks like is, do you build something in house or do you buy, right? If you're Airbnb, they built tons of stuff in house because they had very specific use cases. Wonderful tools have come from it. Same with Spotify, like same, same with Netflix, same with a lot of other companies, but the, the small companies, they're just still at the point of scaling and growth. So, they would probably, their resource constraint is uh, time and people. And so uh, then they're probably going to go end up buying. This is another, I, I love this one. You just, and, and again, the takeaway here is, we, I see this all the time. Like, oh, people start following what the Googles and the Amazons and Netflix do. I'm like, you're not a Netflix. You're not an Amazon. You do not have those problems. Do not use those exact tools. That does not mean you have to go use the exact tools. But there was a, a thought process of why why they needed they developed that so kind of let's take those that, that that principle first and then we figure out how to go apply that for whatever size organization you are right maybe you can just there's a cheaper way to go do that maybe you can go buy something and so forth so that, that that's another that, that's a very nice takeaway right there i think a, a lot of people need to listen to this it's just yeah i think that's a really great takeaway there and and you know maybe sarah just before we go to our lightning round do you feel like us as the data industry that we're learning our lesson here that like you know oh well amazon did hadoop so we should do hadoop too like like are we learning our lesson here or are we still falling into some of the same mistakes i mean history repeats itself so i, I think it will, it will we 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 improve and we iterate um but i think we will fall into some of into some of those traps i think it's inevitable but i do think that um you know a, a lot of what's been uh, talked about recently is is a metrics layer and I think that's an extremely interesting, and I think everyone should uh, read what uh, Airbnb has put out and the, po the blogs and posts they've put out about the principles, kind of exactly what we're talking about, the principles of like why they even needed it in the first place. And really, it comes down to getting uh, unity around uh, definitions, metrics, and not spending uh, precious time having people from two different teams investigate why two numbers don't match. Like that is just a waste of time for everyone. And that will be a waste of time for everyone, no matter if you're a 10 person company or a 10,000 person company. But the complexity of what they built at Airbnb, like that took a lot of people and a lot of time. And that complexity at like a 10, 20 person company, there's just fewer people to wrangle. Um, and so you probably don't need that complexity, but you, you will eventually, right? If, if you grow, but just not right now. 
Beautiful. I love this. Taking my notes for our takeaways. Um, all right. Lightning round. Lightning round. So let's move to our lightning round presented by data.world. I will go first. So you talked about actions based on the day. Uh, on you, you, Sorry. You, you talked about actions based on the day being the key to the modern data stack. Reverse ETL is an emerging space or app, operational analytics or data activation, right? This stuff is changing. Is reverse ETL a must-have for data actions? I don't think it is a must-have. Um, I think that if you follow the 80-20 rule, the first 80 is not going to be data activation. It's going to be just manual actions based on reports. At some point, though, you're going to have so much to do that the time to maintain those actions, you're just going to want to automate them. Um, and so that automation, you're getting into the 20, and so you're further optimizing. Um, so no, I don't think it's necessary, but it's a great tool. Honest, no BS take on that one. Love it. Tim, you go. I love it. That's actually great advice too. When people are thinking about like, when, when do I really need to start investing in a reverse detail tool? Um, uh, so second question, um, should it be a best practice to embed analysts within the departments of, of business. Like you mentioned about like the marketing analysts and all the data teams working with them, yeah, working with them. Is that, is, should that be a best practice? Uh, no, that can't be a best practice because the data team just starts with one person. How can you embed one person into five different organizations? Um, that is by definition centralized. So um, I think that uh, it's same, same thing. I think eventually you get have many different analysts um, but initially at small companies, I just don't think it can be a best, best practice. This goes back to what we always talk about, this balance between centralization and decentralization. So I think when you start off as a company, you're going to be centralized, right? If you're start at some point, you got to figure out that's depending on culture, depending on size and so many factors. And then, and, and then even when you can't start to decentralize and push, like you can't do it with everybody, you got to choose the first one. So, mm -hmm. uh, all right, next question. Is the analytics engineer role helping us overall to get more value from our modern data stack? I do, uh, because I do think that at the end of the day, no matter what tool you use, if you have engineer in your title, you're going to be paid more, you're going to feel more valued, therefore you're going to be more happy, and you're just going to produce better output. It doesn't matter what tool you use. So I do think that we are uh, getting more people who are uh, more familiar with version control and building scalable systems and can make those trade-offs of when do you build hacky and when do you build, you know, for scale. I like that. Um, all right. Well, final uh, lightning round question for you. Um, when the full modern data stack comes true, come, the vision comes true, right? Is the metrics layer going to be part of it? You know, we've talked to Nick Handel at uh, at Transform. We've talked to Drew Bannon at DBT. So we're big fans of the of the metrics layer. But what do you think? Will it be part of it? I do, but I don't think that it has to be a tool. Um, metrics layer could just be a SQL script that defines your metrics. That is a metrics layer. And for the hacky startup that's only ten people, it'll do the job. Will it do the same job for like a thousand person company? No, that's. I mean, I I really don't. But like it it. It's not with a tool. It's about getting everyone to understand what metrics are important and agreeing on definitions. Um, and that has to exist. Sarah, I truly appreciate you. You're being very honest, bold, no BS on this stuff, because I think people listening will kind of like, what? Why is she saying that? But I mean, that, 
I, I, I every, everything you just said here on this, I'm in agreement with you. Um, just looking here. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how, how this is going to take, how this is going to evolve over the next one or two years. So we'll see. We'll, we'll come back in, in a couple of years and see where reverse ETL is, where this metrics layer companies are. And we'll see anyways. All right. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting time. It is. It is. Yeah. I, and we're all, we love them all. We are friends with all of them. They've all now been on the show. Uh, so, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a big community industry. We're all we're all this together. So, all right. Next segment: the Mesh Minute. We didn't say anything about data mesh, but a lot of the things that we've talked about here are related to the data mesh. So, we got one minute to rant, pontificate about data mesh. Go. All right. So, when I think of data mesh, I actually think nothing about data, and I think of like a foam pit or like a net, and you kind of jump in it. And then you kind of sink, but you don't really sink. And you're kind of swimming in it. And then there's just foam around you, like, you know, foam blocks around you. And you don't really know what you're doing, but then you somehow get out. And then you think about, like, wait, what even is that? So that's kind of what I think about data mesh of, like, what even is it? Um, like, a, a mesh? It's like, is it a salad? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just, I even like, I just really don't like different terms. And, like, you won't find me going around saying data mesh. Um, you also probably won't find me going around and like, you know, promoting the modern data stack, like what's so modern about it. Um, I just really don't like marketing terms, just make me run the other direction. That's probably why I am not a marketing person. This was a perfect, awesome rant. I have to say, I think this is the best one up to now. Everybody's been very serious nice. about it. And like, everybody's like, yeah, they have good things. The principles. I mean, okay. I'm, not that I'm making fun of their past guests of doing it, but they, they've all been very kind of very serious about it. You're the, you've you really brought the essence of honest, no BS on this today. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sarah. You know, we, we, we take notes uh, as we go here and I just wrote down foam pit in all caps. So I'm very happy at this point. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I do want a caveat, like I am also like a huge fan of a lot of these tools. Like I just really try to see through the marketing and like, the value that they provide has nothing to do with the term data mesh. Um, you know what I mean? And so there are certainly many tools that bring a lot of value. Love this. All right, Tim, take us away with takeaways. Takeaways. So here we go. Um, so, so much good stuff. Uh, Sarah, I really appreciate you bringing your expertise here and, and having a great conversation because that's what the show is all about. Um, and I think you started off at the top really helping us understand, like, what does it mean to get value out of the modern data stack? And you really pointed it at actions, right? You need to be able to act on information. Data needs to be actionable. Um, and how quickly can you get to that action? You need to save time. You need to save money. You need to be better at your job, right? If you're a marketer, you want to know, like, you know, when when should we be sending emails? How can we convert better, right? If you're in the retail organization, you want to figure out how to boost revenue and close more deals and get more more things in the basket, right? So, how do you drive towards those actions and those decisions? Um, and uh, you mentioned that data exposed to a particular group should help drive towards those actions. So not just like, hey, let's report on frivolous things, right? It should be like, what are the things that that group needs to know in order to take action on it? 
And and when we talked about like how do you even define action, you kind of talked about requirements. You you talked about sort of that product manager hat, which obviously I relate to a lot as uh, as doing product over at Data World. Uh, you need to get good requirements, and that's a partnership between the domain and the business and the people within the data group, uh, and really figuring out like what's important. What is the north star for that particular group? What are the use cases? What are the metrics they care about? Is it revenue? Is it number of users? Is it conversion rate? What are we actually trying to do here? And you talked about some of the technology that helps support that. So, you know, you said that we've come a long way in the last five to 10 years. Couldn't agree more, right? We we mentioned that we kind of have like first world data problems now as opposed to like the stone age that we were in back then, right? But, um, you know, now we have this time, we got to figure out how to use it to drive to insights. So the modern data stack has to help us save time on getting to insights and then actually get us to those actions faster. Um, and when you talked a little bit about the stack, you mentioned, you know, you've got your data warehouse, you've got your orchestrators, your event systems, your transformation systems. But depending on whether you're an enterprise or your startup, you're going to make some different decisions. Maybe if you're a little more technical, you have that culture, maybe open source makes a lot of sense, especially if you're a larger company. If you're a startup, maybe you're going to make different choices. Maybe DBT doesn't make sense to grab right off the shelf because maybe you should just kind of write your SQL scripts and then move to DBT later. So it felt like a very balanced approach to thinking about technology. You said it's not about the tools. It's about what you need to do. And then Juan, over to you. What are your takeaways? Well, actually, I'm looking here at the comments. So Byram just wrote something which I really loved. It was a great summary. He says, the challenges we're solving is much more important than the tools we're using. But it's also important to use the available tools necessary to answer the business questions. I think that really summarizes what we discussed today. But I want to add some more things. I, I I brought up this notion of how about we start cataloging knowledge and you're like, like, let's go make make a list of all the questions people are asking to understand what these questions are, right? Uh, go get the top five questions that marketing finance are asking. I mean, you brought up the, the, the your, in your previous in your previous job, like every BI dashboard started with the question. So we got to start thinking about more about the questions. We really talked about the, this this issue about scale, right? You don't always need to build things at scale from a data perspective. I think that's how we, we think about it differently from software. So uh, what is that balance? You don't always need to get A's. It's okay. Uh, there's a time and place for building scalable systems. Uh, but you got to be careful with the hacked up systems because those can be a problem. So how do you know if something is hacked? It just takes too much time to maintain. And we brought up this notion of what is data data bankruptcy look like? And I think that's something we should start thinking about. What if you have to continue doing the same thing with less people? What would that look like? And then finally, we talked about tools change, but the principles don't change. So if you look at these large companies like Netflix, Spotify, Airbnb, they've done amazing things and, and they've created all these tools and open source tools. But if you're a startup, like you probably don't need that complexity of those tools. You're a smaller company, but those decisions behind them is really, really important. So I think something that's really popular right now we're discussing a lot is the metrics layer, right? I mean, Airbnb kind of did this whole thing. They have the Minerva system, things what it is, right? The principles behind that is important. Let's have unity around the definitions and metrics so we don't spend time, different teams, to figure out why these two numbers are different. That, regardless if you're small or big, we need to keep that. Now, you don't need all the complexity behind that because... Maybe you can just do that for a smaller team. You can do that in SQL. So that is our summary of our takeaways. How did we do, Sarah? I think we did well, but you excluded the foam pit. Well, we started out with that, but okay, let's go. Another takeaway, data mesh, data, data mesh, foam pit. That's a That's final it. takeaway. Mic All right. Up. Perfect. Well, you 
drop the mic now. Two questions to you. You can drop the mic. What's your advice about data, about life, whatever? And second, who should we invite next? Yeah, general advice. Um, operate with intention. Do everything with intention. So as it relates to, you know, data, people, right, the decisions that we make, whether it be to use one tool versus the other, um, who to hire on our team. Um, I think doing everything with intention and knowing why you're doing it, I think will both create a better outcome because you understand the problem that you're trying to solve. But also, I think that it will make you understand like why you're sometimes something can be tedious, but you understand why you're doing it. I personally like to carry that kind of with me, just like who I am. I want, you know, value communicating with intention and kind of all of that um, in kind of my personal life as well. So that's kind of my advice. Um, and then who to invite next? I was really kind of, I wrote in my notes, like I wrote down two different people because I really couldn't decide. But um, I do think that you should bring on someone outside of kind of the modern data stack world. Um, and the person actually that came to mind is Lenny Rachitsky, who writes Lenny's newsletter, because he actually writes about products, but really talks about like, how do you make these product decisions? And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from him um, and apply it to data. So that would be my recommendation. You, who's, I'm curious, who was the second one? The second one was Zach Wilson, who's more in the data space, but I think works at, um, oh, I mean, he's worked at like Airbnb and Netflix. Uh, I don't, I think he's at Netflix. I don't remember. But the point is, is that like, I think bringing in someone who works at like a huge company and understanding kind of how he approaches things and, and how they approach things there, I think uh, we can also learn a lot too. All right. Well, just quick to wrap up here. Uh, next week, we have Omar Kawaja from Roche to guess what? He's going to discuss their data mesh implementation. So you should listen to that one next week. And then upcoming guests we have are is Brett Hurt, uh, Kieran Dines, and Sanjeev Mohan. Uh, so let's so stay tuned for those in the next couple of weeks. But all right, Sarah, thank you so much. This was a fantastic, a truly honest, no BS discussion. Um, thank you. Thank you. And thank My you pleasure. always for supporting us. Have a great Wednesday. And cheers. Cheers. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.